0: They were implying that Kath just travels along in life, that she's normal, and then all of a sudden she snaps.
1: Welcome back to Motive and Method. I'm Tim watson Munro,
0: And I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet. On the last episode, we spoke to Tracy Chapman, a woman who is friends, very, very good friends, with Kathleen Folbig, who I've met a number of times. And obviously Kathleen Folbig has been found guilty of the murder of three of her children and the manslaughter of a fourth back in 2003. In that episode, we discussed Tracy's friendship with Kathleen, which has gone back to childhood, which I didn't realise actually. I've known Tracy for a number of years now, but obviously their childhood friendship was really the foundation of now Tracy really being one of the key champions in Kathleen's case to see that conviction overturned. And she really brought us forward to now where we are with the inquiry and waiting for the results of the most recent inquiry, reviewing whether there is in fact reasonable doubt in Kathleen's case, which a number of us have been saying for years now is in fact the case and I think the science is now bearing that out.
1: Well, I think too, you know, the council assisting said there was reasonable doubt as well and that's big.
0: Even the DPP said he's expecting the, find, the findings to be reasonable doubt. So it was huge. It was a huge inquiry. Uh, Very emotional, actually, I thought. Um, Watching it, listening to a lot of it in terms of for the first time since I became involved in this case in 2014, I'm actually hopeful that we will get the right answer. And by right answer, I mean the fair outcome. As I said, I wrote about this in 2014 and I had significant concerns about the veracity and reliability of the evidence against Kathleen in this case. And I... Yeah, I was surprised it's taken this long to come this far in a way. I didn't realise how difficult the journey was going to be, but here we are. So I guess on today's episode, we're going to unpack everything that Tracy talked about, some of the things that we learnt, and um, ultimately what we're hoping for for the future as experts in this space, and ultimately people who are involved with the criminal justice system. We need to have faith in it to do our jobs, apart from anything else. I
1: think there's lessons there for experts. There's lessons there for lawyers, and dare I say it, there's lessons there for judges yeah. in terms of process
0: and the DPP. There's lessons there for everyone, isn't it? And the public, I think that's a really important one too, because the public ab- absolutely jumped on the bandwagon of you know the mother who's killed her children, vilified her. What one thing that's really struck me was the the level of vitriol levied at at Tracy, the death threats, you know, the the fear the intimidation that she's had to go through speaking about this case?
1: It's a very common dynamic. Um, I mean, this is a very high-profile case, but this sort of thing goes on all the time. Look at social media, even over very trivial cases by comparison, the amount of trolling that goes on and how that impacts on people... Topic for another discussion, perhaps, but uh, it's quite disgusting.
0: Yeah, well, those keyboard warriors certainly get busy when it's such a high profile case and they do not hold back. The emails I get sometimes can be, um, you know, really quite intimidating. And I guess you take it with the territory when it's your profession and you choose to kind of, I guess, put your head above the parapet, share professional opinions, expert commentary on some of these cases. But for somebody like Tracy, she isn't an expert in that field. She's somebody's friend and she's doing this because she believes it's the right thing to do and I think that other people think that it's then okay to look her up and make threats and intimidate and some of these are really violent mm. threats and I think that that's something we really need to tackle as a society. What, what gives somebody the right to look somebody up and, and act in that way and be so threatening?
1: With great cowardice because it's always anonymized. So they're not really powerful people. They're impotent people protecting themselves with the cloak of anonymity. It's a terrible process.
0: Well, they're bullies, aren't they? They want to silence you. And so I think that was probably, imagine the learning curve that Tracy has been on over this period of time, you know, really beginning to try and understand the legal system which is, you know, it's a law, it's a law unto itself, uh, you know, it literally is, isn't it? Even the language that's used around it. She said she read Enna Kumlath's book and, you know, she had to read it three times with the dictionary because the words in there are very, all legal language is elitist, isn't it? It's exclusionary by nature and I think it's designed to be. The people in the judges, the, the lawyers, the barristers, they all understand what's going on. But if you're on the outside of that circle, if you're a witness or the accused or somebody just watching as a friend, it's something that is exclusionary. You're not, you know, they don't really want you to understand that process and, and how it all works. So it's very difficult, I think, to engage with that world and really get a foothold and make a difference.
1: Well, Tracy's a highly intelligent person, well-educated, but I take your point. If you didn't have that level of intellect or training as a scientist, capacity to wade through things, read and re-read things, interpret things, uh, you'd be lost in the marshes, couldn't you, really?
0: Yeah, and I think it's very difficult for somebody to pick up that mantle and to start challenging that system. And the status quo, the, the whole the legal system is... Is established to maintain the status quo. When somebody is found guilty, yes, everyone goes, well, there's an appeal process, right? Well, yes, you can appeal if you have fresh and compelling, you've got to have grounds, fresh and compelling evidence, etc. There are very specific grounds under which you can appeal. And it's very difficult to get to be granted an appeal. It's very difficult at that stage to, you know, even if you are granted to win that appeal, if you don't win your appeal, you know, you can push for an inquiry, but generally they're not granted. So every at every stage, the law is trying to maintain the current status quo and prevent that case being retried, reheard. And so when it's been going on for 20 years, it's really quite extraordinary the journey that this case has already taken given the appeals, the number of inquiries, you know, and just when you think that's the last thing, you know, and you're kind of almost giving up hope, there's another push, there's another wave of support. And I think that's been extraordinary in this case with all those scientists signing that letter. Well, I
1: think that was a game changer actually.
0: Yeah. You know, 150 eminent scientists have said this is a miscarriage of justice. Now, if the Attorney General elected to ignore that, it was Mark Speakman at the time when that was submitted, where does that leave the justice system in this country when the science, which is, you know, unquestionable, the science says what the science says, it's not, it's not a subjective analysis, it's just an objective evaluation of evidence, Yes. when it says what it says, if we ignore that, what does that mean about our, quote, justice system? given any one of us can be accused of anything at any time.
1: Well, you know, the justice system's under fairly intense scrutiny at the moment. I won't mention the case. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's been a lot of questioning of uh, how things run behind closed doors. And who has power?
0: It's Mm. all about that power, isn't it? The power in the hands of a few. The masses, like you and I, if we're accused of something then, you know, it's that David and Goliath fight, isn't it? You know, the Crown has all of these resources to throw at it and you're just one person trying to demonstrate that there is reasonable doubt. And even when there was clear reasonable doubt in this case, she was still found guilty and is still in prison 20 years later and is still fighting. It
1: goes again to what we've talked about many times, which is conscious and unconscious bias. Once there's a determination of an issue, I've found over the years... Others will get on to the bandwagon without really evaluating it, critically evaluating it. They tend to, because it creates dissonance, I think. If you disagree with the crowd in some way, you're out there on your own. It's much easier, consciously or unconsciously, to go with the flow. And I think that process was in play with
0: Kathleen. And I think part of the problem is often in the public domain, most people don't have sufficient information to make an informed Judgment as to what's happening. And I experienced this recently when Terence Kelly, who abducted Cleo Smith, if you remember in WA a couple of years ago now, well, not quite two years ago now, some, you know, a few months ago. So Terence Kelly abducted Cleo Smith from the campsite where she was with her mother and her mother's partner. It was just a random event. He was there to kind of rob. You know, the campsite um, opened the tent, found, saw the child and took the child on a spur of the moment, situational, as we would describe it, event, and held her for 18 days before she was recovered. Now, this came up into the news again very recently because Terence Kelly, of the 20 years maximum sentence he could have received in WA for this event, he got 10 years. Now, I did a couple of interviews at the time, and I remember doing one interview on one of the morning shows, and they asked me about the sentencing. And I knew some of the backstory. Terence Kelly and some of the issues that he had in his very young childhood growing up and some of the other psychological and emotional issues that he currently has. And I personally felt the sentence was quite fair. I know it was a very serious event. I'm not downplaying that at all. However, knowing what I knew, that seemed like a reasonable judgment. And obviously, sentencing is an incredibly complex process. People
1: don't understand it. There's so many layers to sentencing. It's so nuanced. I think a lot of people out there just think, well, you do the crime, you go in and the judge, you know, bangs the gavel and off you go for 20 years. It's not that simple, folks.
0: It's just not. And that's why they take weeks or months to... To sentence, so you'll have you'll have a conclusion to a case, and then it will take you know there'll be another few weeks before sentencing takes place because there's so much to consider, all of the mitigating factors and all of the aggravating factors that the the person just making the decision, the judge will the sentencing judge will take into account. And with Terence Kelly, he had a terrible childhood, very dysfunctional. He was being given alcohol in his baby bottle. For example, you know, he was then taken away as a toddler. The dysfunction continued. He basically had a kind of a a separation, a psychological separation, and had all these dolls that he would keep and that he actually saw them as family. And when he presented to the police the interview, he was talking about all these children that he'd had with all these women. The police thought they were real. Well, they weren't. They were his dolls he was talking about because psychologists, and I'd be interested in your opinion on this, felt that he'd almost had a a separate life that he was kind of leading like a safe life through these dolls and these family members because he didn't have that security so he created it and the dolls that everyone was probably remembering from the media and everyone's going oh he's clearly a sexual deviant well like we talked about this at the time it more
1: complex than that right?
0: far more complex and than that, that makes
1: sense People create alternate realities. Exactly what he did to give themselves comfort, and uh, you know, even when we were kids, I don't know about you, we all had imaginary friends.
0: I did, but mine were all animals. I don't know what that says but about you me. Still
1: like animals. I more do than love people, animals
0: I <laughs> because I know what people are like. I'm very selective in who I like as a person, mm. but mine were all animals, all my friends. But I knew about this childhood. I knew. About like family members he'd created. He also has ADHD. He has schizophrenia. He has narcissistic personality disorder. He has other things too, and the others escape me now. He's w- basically a walking psychological, you know, history of everything you can have. Like the
1: DSM five. Yeah, the yeah. D- he's
0: he's just got everything. And I think if you look at this poor man's history, again, I'm not you know saying that what he did was anything other than awful, but we cannot expect him to have a normal thought process, behaviour, emotions that that other people would have without those conditions.
1: Might I add 10 years is a long time in jail.
0: And he will struggle in jail because of the crime that he committed, so he will be at the bottom of that pecking order, but also because of his psychological and psychiatric conditions and behavioural conditions, he's going to find it a very difficult place to be anyway as an individual so I think that this this came up again because he's he's actually appealing his sentence Is um,
1: he the conviction or the severity No, he
0: pled guilty so he's it's not, the
1: severity just the severity
0: of the sentence but I remember when I was asked on the morning program about the sentencing originally and I said well I think it's a fair sentence and the interviewer is like well I think people watching this would find that difficult to understand and I was like well yeah They probably would because they don't have enough background information. They don't have all of everything that the sentencing judge had. And I think you're quick to reach a conclusion But perhaps, and this is a very extremely long-winded way of saying this, perhaps we should all be much more conscious of those decisions we reach quickly and be much more aware that there's so much more behind these situations than we know.
1: very emotional case involving a child, the abduction of a child, I mean, I made, I was interviewed too a lot back then and I made the point that Australia identified with this case because we all, a lot of us have children or we have relatives who have children. What if it was my child? So there was a strong sense of identification with the victim and the family and uh, that was, of course, reinforced by the 24-7 saturation in the media, social media. So I think at some level... Many people in Australia felt it was their child psychologically and so they were very invested, I feel, in ensuring that this guy got a big whack. Yeah, and it was about
0: punishment and it was about vilification of the offender and whilst I totally get that, there is no doubt about guilt in this case as there is in Kathleen's case, obviously, but it's still that same sense of no punishment is, is enough but jumping to that conclusion without having all the facts and I think that in Kathleen's case... People, when they heard about, you know, the four children, that was presented as, well, this couldn't happen unless this was intentional. It's not going to happen by chance. Well, no. We, no one ever said it was going to happen by chance. It was environmental or genetic or some other causative factor was at play. But they heard mother murdered their children and, you know, no punishment is harsh enough. And people Same didn't want to hear the truth. Same they didn't want to hear it.
1: No, because it creates this dissonance. It's Again, it's easier to go with the flow and people can be very punitive in those situations without knowing all the facts or indeed in many cases any of the facts really.
0: Exactly. I think that's probably one of the cases and, you know, we've seen it before with mothers accused of murdering their children. Lindy Chamberlain, same thing. She didn't respond emotionally and a lot of parallels have been drawn between Lindy and Kathleen's case and I think there are certainly parallels. They're both very stoic, um, they're both very strong women. They, you know, they, they don't show their emotions necessarily in the same way that the public might quote, expect a woman who's going through that. I think they were judged on that basis. And imagine walking every day through that media pack to get to court, you know, to, to hear all of this evidence against you. It must be so well, distressing.
1: wolves, really.
0: Yeah. And so I think the public just see that. And then we had the Kelly Lane case, same thing. So there is a pattern here, I think, of women being vilified. Once they're accused, there is no punishment that's enough. And, you know, once the public is, you know, convinced that they are guilty, then turning that rhetoric around is very difficult. I mean, sometimes my students will still say to me about Lindy Chamberlain, or now Lindy Chamberlain Creighton, you know, are you sure she didn't do it? And I'm like, like, seriously, in no world that we exist in is that possible. Was she guilty? Yeah, was she guilty? And one of my students said that – oh, it was a couple of years ago now. So we're talking a student who was 18, 19, and she pulled me over at the end of class and was like, what, do you really think she didn't do it? And I was like, in no world that we exist in was that possible. Lindy didn't harm Azaria any more than I did. Mm. So can we just move on? And I very rarely kind of get impatient with my students, but I was just like, Really? Like, after 40-plus years, like, have we not let this go?
1: What prompts that, do you think? Because I don't that, know. that student wouldn't have been alive when all nope. this was happening.
0: Nope. And Social then, media? I don't know. Parents, maybe. And then she said, do you really think a dingo could take a baby? And I was like, there were documented cases of dingoes trying to take babies.
1: Spend a weekend at Fraser go Island. To, that's
0: what I said. Go to Fraser. It happens fairly regularly, not just babies. Toddlers are attacked. Adults are attacked. You know, so it, it surprises me, you know, decades later, people hold on to this, even people who weren't alive at the time. And so when Kathleen is released, whenever that happens, some people will be diehard believers that she's done this, regardless of what the, the evidence says. They the books can't, have been cooked. Yeah, they have, yeah. So they will not believe that she's not guilty, regardless of what is presented to her. But I do think there's been a change... Recently, I've certainly seen it in response we to... We heard it
1: from Tracy, you know, that there seems to have been a bit of a sea change and a shift in and a softening even in the prison well, towards that, her. That was
0: amazing. I've never heard of a group of inmates putting together a book and welcoming another inmate into their space and saying, you'll be safe. That's unheard That's of to me. That's remarkable.
1: And uh, she was safe, but uh, you would wonder... If you receive that book, it was genuine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I obviously... It, it clearly
1: was because nothing happened to her. But, yeah, uh... and she's
0: obviously kept it. Tracy said she's kept it safe for her when she gets out and I think that that was, was certainly remarkable from my perspective and I imagine was really quite something for her too that, that that was the change that has happened.
1: Well, to know that she is safe too because she spent two decades, I would imagine, living in fear, fear of retribution, Tracy mentioned she was attacked at least one time. Yeah, and she was she was seriously
0: injured, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, can you urge in that? I mean, really. And, and think, you're innocent.
0: And people don't think about that. So now we've had the inquiry, you know, the uh, council assisting has said to the uh, to Bathurst that, you know, there, there is reasonable doubt and then the DPP has come out and said, yes, I concur that that's going to likely be the finding. Yet what she's, are we waiting for? She's still in prison at this, at this very moment as we sit here. And I think people don't realise what life is like in those facilities. Every day is much longer, I think, for people in those situations than we can imagine. And so, yeah, I think there's just, you know, there's just got to be some something done as quickly as possible because every day she's in there is a breach of her human rights. We know somebody's in prison when there's reasonable doubt over their conviction. That is a situation that cannot continue.
1: Thank you for listening to Motive and Method. I'm Tim watson Munro,
0: And I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet. If you're enjoying this series, you can give us a five-star review, recommend us to your friends and family, or subscribe to our channel and feed. And if you would like, you can set up an alert that will let you know when a new episode drops.
1: We'll be back in your ears next week. Thank you for listening.